author of Wicked Fox, and I'm Clarabel A. Ortega, author of Ghost Squad, and this is Write or Die. So, how are you? Good. Uh, newly back from a book event. How did it go? It was fun. I didn't go as a participating author, which I was kind of excited about. I kind of missed just going to book events and fanning and watching panels and seeing cool people and learning about new books. So I, I really, I was really looking forward to being able to do that. But if I'm being completely honest, it felt different still, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's normal for it to feel different when you're an author and you're at an event that's book related. For sure. I felt like Whenever someone was like, oh, when's your panel or when's your signing? I, I had two feelings. One was like gratitude being like, oh, my gosh, like you think that I'm here as an author. Like, that's so sweet. Like, I feel so grateful that people are aware of my book and everything like that. And then the other part of me is like, oh, my God, I'm an imposter. No, I'm not, like, <laughs> like, I'm not here for anything. I shouldn't talk about my book at all. I shouldn't like I tweeted that I was going to be there and I had character cards like carry them around with me everywhere in case people were wondering and so I was like if you're around and you see me I'll give you a character card if that's if you want one and then I was like oh is that is that rude am I like utilizing this hashtag to like promo my my book and am I allowed to do that am I an imposter that wasn't even invited and now I'm doing this so it's a it's it's an anxiety soup (laughs) you also didn't have me there which Mm -hmm. is I'm usually your like social backup because I'm always like stop cat everything's fine (laughs) but yeah imposter syndrome uh it's it's uh it's our new best friend as authors I thought it might go away but it's still here (laughs) yeah it's a it's a weird thing and I think uh you can feel imposter syndrome for like different reasons as well which is what makes it sort of so uncomfortable because if you feel imposter syndrome both like socially and with your career then it's like when will I know peace (laughs) 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 it's like will I ever just be okay um and it's really I mean it's it's hard because like I've definitely felt imposter syndrome in the past and the imposter syndrome that I've felt has more so been sort of a result of publishing and having a sort of platform before I was published or had like a book deal or anything like that Uh Uh I sort of went through this like what if everyone only likes me because they think I post funny stuff but I'm not an actually good writer yeah and I don't have any like like actual skills and now it's it's sort of like okay I can I can I know that I have some skills but what if I don't have enough skills to write this kind of book (laughs) it's like my imposter syndrome like is suddenly was able to reinvent itself like Madonna and like try something new so that it can fuck me up so imposter syndrome can be really hard I think that I don't feel it socially mostly because I'm just a very extroverted person. Because you're so amazing. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, I'm really extroverted and, and I'm okay with people 
not being my friend. And I recognize that not everybody is going to like me in life because I've had people not like me my whole entire life because I'm a lot and that's fine with me. And I think that it's really hard because like you were saying before, like, yes, we should like this is an industry and like we should do things like for professional reasons. But that always bleeds into the social part when Mm -hmm. we're at events and and it's hard to draw that line and to not let it affect affect us in a way that can be negative sometimes because in case you're new here publishing can be a clicky place <laughs> yeah it absolutely that's... can be can be I think that there are there are reasons sometimes why that happens sometimes they're valid and sometimes they're not valid but I think that the whole like publishing is clicky thing like it can sometimes be painted with like a very broad brush and like people don't look at like the nuances of it and like the reasons why it's like that sometimes. And I think that's really important too, but we can come back to that um, later. What were you going to say, Kat? Oh, I was just going to say that like from my perspective, it's that I need to adopt some of your, like I need to accept that there's going to be some people who just don't sync up with me and my personality, like to the point where they might not like me. It's even hard for me to say it now. I'm literally just talking to you right now. And the fact that I can't say the word some people might not like me is so telling of my personality. I don't know why it's, and it's, I wonder if it does come from the fact that I have always been kind of like a loud, hyper excitable person and when people have negative reactions to me, their negative reactions are really pointed and really extreme. Like, oh, so annoying. She talks so much. She talks so fast. Like those kinds of reactions. I grew up with that my whole entire life. And I it, it really it really seeped into my head. It really got to me. And then, you know, what's really funny is that when I first joined publishing, people are like, oh, writers in general are introverts, which I actually do think I am kind of an introvert I think I'm an outgoing introvert where Mm. I when I get very excited I'm I'm really 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 on but I my social battery drains and I need I really really need time to myself to to recharge my social battery but I didn't know this at the time and so I felt ashamed of the idea that I wasn't also an introvert because I felt like my outgoingness my extrovert tendencies was was upsetting the balance (laughs) of the introvert society that is writers right and 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 it like you know that I still I still deal with that to this day I'll go to an event and I'll meet new people and 99% of the time we're laughing and having a good time and everyone's making jokes and everyone's on and then that 1% of the time where I look over and someone's just like kind of blankly staring at me and I'll be like it's because they hate me and this whole time they've been thinking about how much they hate me even though we've been talking for 30 minutes this is the proof that the hatred is real. And then I'll spiral and and I can't get over that like one second that we made awkward eye contact, even though <laughs> there was no other indication that they could potentially dislike me because that's where my brain will automatically go. And then you add on top of the fact that a lot of the people you're hanging out with or, or being put into the social situation with that a good percentage of them are people who you really respect. Mm. Like, like to be in the same room with authors who you fanned over and and now you're on a panel together with them or you're even not even on a panel together you're just in the same room with them because you you get coveted access to the green room or something it's terrifying i think in these situations like you just have to remind yourself everybody like going into them that 
nobody is like thinking about you as much as you're thinking about yourself. Like, I think sometimes we worry so much about how other people see us. And like, yeah, we should totally be aware of how we are treating others and like being kind to everyone. But no one's like super like hyper analyzing everything that you do. Anybody who is like that, like my philosophy is anyone who's like nitpicking my behavior at all times is not someone who I want to be associated with or who I want to like give that power over me like they can go analyze me by themselves in a corner I don't really give a shit you know (laughs) I think that the people who are there to like have conversations and to meet you and to talk about books and like to have like honest and like fun and like productive convos about things that are happening in publishing or just about the book that books that are being discussed at the event or whatever it is or just like fun shit you know Mm -hmm. those are the people that I I want to be around with and that I want to get to know I'm not I think that we need to stop trying to impress everybody in the room because if there's someone who's going to judge you because you're not perfect you're not seeing the right things or wearing the right clothes or you don't have the right badge then that's not the kind of person that you want to be in your circle you don't want that person as a friend like who gives a shit about impressing them you know like yeah and we can't there's no way you can make everybody like you you can't worry about that you just have to be yourself when you go into these situations and it does feel a lot like high school like a lot of this feels like stuff that you would tell a teenager going into school because a lot of the behavior is kind of like mimicked um in some situations especially in YA I say middle grade is a little bit safer of a space for these kinds of things But I think it's all what you make it and what you put the focus on and the lens on yourself because I'm aware of these things happening. I don't give it any of my energy though. And I think that makes a big difference for me and how I see the community because it doesn't feel highlighted for me and it doesn't feel important. And that's because it's not important to me. Those people aren't important to me. They're, they're my colleagues. I'll be respectful of them, but I don't really have a vested interest in trying to like impress anyone or social climb. I think that, you know, we shouldn't be thinking of things through that lens. We should just be there because we all love books and because we're all hopefully good humans who want to make this world a better place. And because we're following this like passion that we have for like writing and books and storytelling and children when it comes to telling stories to kids. Yeah. Anything else is just like a necessary noise, you know, if you're if you're out there doing the work and like really putting your energy and like sort of yourself into into your writing and into into the act of trying to help the kids and the people that you write for you don't have time or energy to like be wasting on like petty shit and I think that that's what you have to focus on it's it's not worth it it really isn't and as you know much as like people want to be like entertained by that stuff it's never fun when you're on the receiving end of it and I think that's really important to to remember too because if you participate in like gossip culture constantly eventually it's going to be turned on you too yeah and I think that it's not even just the act of like discussing like different like anecdotes or stories you heard I think it has to do with the the feeling of the story like if you're maliciously telling a story because you want to get like gasps or reactions then Mm. I think that people can tell like what your intent is with talking about it it's different if you're like genuinely like oh my god I'm worried can you like help me tell me some you know in anecdotes or stuff like that versus "Ooh, did you hear about what happened here everyone's smart so I think that that's really important to be aware of and not fall into that 
pattern at all. And and I think that that actually does tie into like the whole idea of imposter syndrome because when you're one of the things that people do like my theory is like people gossip because they want other people to sort of to like them yep so it's like oh look at this thing I know about you know what I mean because you know Mm -hmm. that that's going to get a reaction it's going to get people to pay attention to you and to like talk to you like if you have information but that's not like a really healthy way to get to make friends (laughs) it's not at all no (laughs) <laughs> and the thing is, is that we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think that because right now we're, we are talking about social interaction in industry, I think it's worth reiterating is that we're really lucky because we made tried and true friends before we ever got like those standard markers of success, right? Yeah. You and I met before we had agents. Yeah. I met most of my critique group before I started querying and so and and anybody knew that I met after the fact I met through someone else so it was kind of like I know you're cool because so-and-so likes you and I like so-and-so kind of a feeling Mm. and so I do feel lucky in the sense that I have a set a set social group but okay here's my acknowledgement is that people have come up to me afterwards and said that they do find our friend group intimidating it's this actually happened at the festival I went to where I felt like an imposter. Someone came up to me and told, and I just remember this, which means, which just shows you that you filter out things. You only remember the bad sometimes. Yeah. But someone said, oh, there was one time at BookCon where you're, where I was hanging out with so-and-so who's in your critique group. And then all of you showed up. And then I was like, oh my gosh, am I supposed to be here? And I was like, what? no we we loved having you there we love like that's why I'm talking to you now like I met you then and we're friends now and blah blah and she's like oh yeah but it was so shocking to me the idea that anyone would think that they are an imposter in our group because we're the reason we're such a big group is because we like everybody (laughs) well I think that's part of it too like there's like 700 of us so like you go up to like a group of friends and there's like 50 of them they're all talking at the same time then it's like ah (laughs) you know so I think a really good way to like try to help newer authors or people who seem like they're not really with anybody else at festivals is like bring them in like say hey like Uh how's your festival going like make sure you listen to them in the group too because one of my biggest pet peeves in life is like if someone's telling a story if I'm telling a story in a group and like nobody's listening to me or like people talk over me like I hate that shit with a passion so like try to make sure that like you're you're paying it like extra special attention to people who are on their own or seem to be on their own because it can be really hard it can be really tough to break into already established sort of like friend groups and I think for the most part like I I would say like I know nobody in our critique group would ever purposely make somebody feel left out but it does Mm -hmm. happen when you've been friends with people for a long time you guys sort of like understand each other just by like looking at each other and making like weird noises and like (laughs) from the outside and it's like what is going on so I think just like being aware of like our surroundings and like taking a moment to like breathe and chill and just like be like how are you like are you okay and I think that becomes difficult also because like a lot of us are overwhelmed we're we're at these shows too so it's just like it's like a circle you know because like the people who you are finding intimidating they might be spiraling themselves (laughs) yes it's super true and and I will say that like I I will I've gotten to friends after a big event and been like oh my god I was so awkward I didn't know how to talk to anyone they're like 
no, I was with you the whole time. You seem totally fine. Yeah. And I'm like, really? That's so- def- I've definitely said that to you before, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I do think that in in terms of just, like, understanding the root of imposter syndrome, right? It's like we don't think we're good enough or cool enough where where we belong. But you definitely do. Like, I'm also talking to myself right now. I'm looking in the mirror. (laughs) Like, you definitely do belong as long as you're approaching all interactions with with being genuine and like truly wanting to get to know people and make true connections, then I think you're fine. I can't say that there doesn't exist social climbers within any situation. But if you're always like hyper aware of those people, then you're not gonna have fun yourself. So like, don't don't assume that anyone is there with bad intentions you should be able to get to know people for who they are. Right. Don't make snap judgments for sure. And like just sort of give people a chance. (laughs) I would say that's the most important thing because a lot of, that's another thing. A lot of opinions of people is based on people gossiping and like sometimes it's about warning someone about a predator or whatever and that is completely different I just want to make that distinction right now but when it's just like petty or like malicious gossip about someone it's it's tough you know because you never you never know like what situation that person has gone through with someone else so give people Mm -hmm. a chance and people are capable of like changing also even if they did something once upon a time that wasn't great like yep we're human we're we're human beings (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> misunderstandings yeah. do happen nobody is born woke nobody is like <laughs> void of making mistakes <laughs> so I think that that can go a long way just to like remember that stuff but yeah we've t- t- I-, I think this like all sort of like ties into I guess social imposter syndrome if that's like a thing yeah well no that is true though because I think the industry is is like half worth thinking about talent and half worth thinking about like do people like me enough to want to read my stuff right you know because before you're you, before you have like a big breadth of of work the only reason people would want to read it is because of how you pitch it and how you pitch yourself yeah for sure and before we like l- like quickly touched on the fact that you know the industry can be clicky and like i said that sometimes those things happen for a reason and I just want to say like you know the 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 more well-known you become as an author the more like sort of success you have the easier it is for people to try to take advantage of you or to just want to be your friend because Mm -hmm. of like social climbing or try to be your friend because they want a favor or they're trying to pitch you something Mm -hmm. and there have been a lot of people who are burned and and that is why they're so closed off and so careful so it's not always about someone like saying like oh I'm too good to be friends with you like it's not always like that it's just they are only one person you know and like sometimes you have a lot of people trying to be your friend at the same time it's physically impossible and it's it can be exhausting so even though like to you it's just like one question or like one favor or whatever that person has probably gotten like 50 of those that day yes so I think it's important to be cognizant of that side of it as well, that that unfortunately, when you do reach a certain level of like popularity or success or whatever it may be in the industry, you that doesn't mean you can't be kind to people. You can always be kind. But I do see people sort of lamenting like these people are only friends with each other. And it's like, well, yeah, they came up together. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot to trust a new person coming into your circle of friends when they are in the same industry as you and there are a lot of people who become friends with people for questionable reasons like that's just the way public 
publishing is. And for the most part, people are just trying to protect themselves. And I think that's important to remember as well. When you, like me and Kat, we got our agents like around the same time. Like we sort of have like a similar timeline, which is why we became friends the, the way that we did. And we're so close. That's not to say that we don't make new friends. I'm a lot more cautious of it. Yeah. Because I've been burned a lot of times. And also it has sometimes negative repercussions on like if you become friends with someone who doesn't have an agent, like I've become friends with people who don't have agents yet and they have people accusing them. Oh, the only reason why you have this is because you're friends with Clarabelle. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. And that is, first of all, so untrue. Who do you think I am? Liberace? <laughs> second of all, um, Liberace, like I'm a 90 year old woman. Um, second of all, <laughs> that is so ugly to say to someone everything that we have we have to work hard for it in this industry like for the most part you know there are people who get things because of, of things and other reasons but <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part like most of us have to work our ass off in one way or another and like don't ever make anybody feel bad because they're friends with somebody who you perceive to be successful seriously like that's so ugly like just don't do it Whew. That was a lot. We have, I mean, obviously you guys can tell we have a lot of thoughts about this topic. And and I think like we have other offshoots of thoughts about it. Maybe we'll talk about different aspects of like how to, how to make friends Yeah. later on another episode. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. 18 year old Goom Young has a secret. She's a Goomiho, a nine-tailed fox who must devour the energy of men in order to survive. Because so few believe in the old tales anymore, and with so many evil men no one will miss, the modern city of Seoul is the perfect place to hide and hunt. Miang's life is upended when she kills a Dokebi, a murderous goblin, just to save the life of a human boy. But after Miang saves Jihoon's life, the two develop a tenuous friendship that blooms into romance, setting them down a path that will soon force Miang to choose between her immortal life and Jihoon's. Wicked Fox finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and Korean dramas. It's been called a vibrant debut novel that employs the Korean genre's conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly and Fresh and Fast Pace by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox is out now from Penguin Random House and is available wherever books are sold. Today's guest is Ryan LaSala, who is returning to us after his first interview over a year ago. Ryan LaSala is a fantasy writer rooted in the Northeast United States. His first book, Reverie, is a YA fantasy due for publication with Sourcebooks Fire on December 3rd, 2019. It's about what happens when your dreams chase you back. And yes, it has a drag queen sorceress as the villain. Ryan, how are you? Hi, I'm so good. I'm so excited to be back. Can you yeah. believe it? It's been like a, a year, a little bit over a year. It's been over a year. I wasn't at the last one. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Oh, Kat, it's a great addition. I'm so glad you're here. Yay! Yeah, Kat, a, a lot has changed. And mm -hmm. actually, when this interview airs, your book will be out the next day. So yes. when I interviewed you the first time, your announcement hadn't even gone live. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> We have had you on the show before, so if anybody wants to hear sort of like a long version of Ryan's journey into publication, we will link that in the show notes before. But can we do sort of like a Glee style recap of how you got to this point, And then we can talk about all the other good stuff that's come since then. 
okay, here's what you missed on Glee. So, um, yeah, so hi guys, I'm Ryan. I know Claire Bell and Kat from Twitter, literally. Um, and we're all like very good friends now. And I got my start in writing. I started writing in high school actually and sort of stopped in college and then sort of picked it back up after college. And I got my start in publishing because I thought, you know, what better way to get discovered than just be a complete clown on the internet. <laughs> and it worked. And I found my agent via Twitter. Thank you, Beth Balin, for DB Pitt. Like I've sort of navigated through social media and put together a bit of a career for myself. And yeah, so I wrote Reverie, like Clarabelle said. It's a book about um, sort of like escapist fantasies and, and gay kids. And I really didn't think anyone was going to buy it. So I sort of included like everything I like in fantasy and was very indulgent, sort of like anime inspired. And imagine my shock to be <laughs> doing this interview on like the <laughs> eve of publication. Um, yeah. And that's like quick story for you. And that's what you missed on Glee. We will have the extended version of that story in the show notes for everyone who's interested. So Ryan, it has been a while, you know, since you got your book deal and your book is about to come out. And we just want to talk a little bit about what it's been like as an almost debut and sort of leading up to your book release. And how has it been balancing work with like doing author promo stuff, which is also work, but a different kind of work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like... Can I swear? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it is fucking hard. Like, I have so much admiration in my heart for people who, like, like have, like, families and, like, kids on top of everything else, How? like, working career. How? And yeah, it's it's wild to me. Like, I, it's just amazing. I mean, for myself, like, I work full-time, right? And I have been working full-time. And I, like, I worked full-time while I was writing. So that was not a mystery to me. Like, balancing writing and working was just always going to be the case for me and, and this is actually covered in my first episode and in first interview where I you know I'm I, I'm a chronically ill person right so I like will always need medical care and benefits and things like that too so just the idea of like not working full-time is kind of unrealistic to me um, that'll always be paired with my writing career and so I was sort of used to it like I have arranged my life in such a way that like my job is like very accommodating like I love my coworkers; they know about my writing writing as like a thing that I'm doing alongside of like working was fine it's just the actual like marketing and promo and travel stuff like on top of that it's basically like a third full-time job and it was it was difficult for a time because I think like back in like I was going I was going a little bit bananas back in like August and September because I was finishing like all the final edits on Reverie I was doing all the promotional stuff for that I was working full-time I was moving states oh and I was trying to finish my second book because that was due as well so I was sort of doing these like five very different things um and you know it was a lot of takeout it was it was a lot of like <laughs> corners in terms of like nutrition and uh just got addicted to Takis and here I am <laughs> I do love Takis as I really, one does yeah I really do they're delicious so I'm clearly doing well I mean of, of all the things you could have gotten addicted to I think Takis is the most responsible thing so right, right. great advice <laughs> yeah. Young writers out there, you don't need any food. You just need Takis Fuego. <laughs> I I really admire the fact that everything that you've done has like even though I think like someone who's just discovering you might 
feel like they've walked into like a chaotic portal fantasy. Yes. I think it I think yeah. now knowing you, everything you done you do has such purpose. And which I really admire because mm. like a lot of us trying to get into this industry are like trying to figure our shit out and trying to figure out who am I and how do I present myself to the world. And I think the way you do it is in such a fun organic and authentic way of like who you are not just your book but like your personality and I wonder like was there ever a point when you first joined the community where you thought about not doing that and just going with like the flow of of the generic like this is my book here's my biling (laughs) (laughs) no I oh well first of all that's thank you that's such a nice thing to say um and Absolutely. I think, well, okay, first and foremost, and this is going to be no surprise to like even people who are probably listening to this for the first time, I have really never had a choice between like choosing between like being me and also blending in. Like I've been this from a really young age where like I've just always prioritized (laughs) whimsicality and, you know, just, I don't know, like the things that crack me up or that I enjoy. And as a result, like my childhood was like, oh, it was rough. Like I was like, I was the weirdest child and for sure the target (laughs) because I was like always like insisting on basically doing things my way and I couldn't figure out you know I I would try to blend in from time to time and it just like depressed the hell out of me and so I just learned to kind of prioritize following my creative instincts and so when it came to book stuff and as the both of you know like there are methodologies for like getting through book world right there's pathways querying and sort of behaving and there for a time there was like this whole thing about like don't put your politics in your like internet presence because that'll turn people off and then like 2016 happened and it was just impossible not to do that and so there were rules around this and for a little bit, yeah, I did try to kind of, because you're approaching a new industry and you're getting advice from people. And I remember like, I was on like absolute right, like that forum community. Mm-hmm. And yes. those people, they were very helpful in some places, but they were also like, this is the way that you write. This is the way that you be a writer. Cause those are two separate things. And it was very much that like, you know, you have to be poised. You have to have like all this stuff set up and, you know, don't do much, don't do too much. Like don't be so out there, which was like diametrically opposed to like how I've gone about doing anything in my life. And for a little bit, I tried that. And this is actually, I was just talking to my agent about this the other day. In the first like sort of drafts of like queries, I did not mention like a lot of the overtly queer themes in my book, which ended up being the selling point for like my agent and my editor. Cause I just thought I'm going to have to trick people into reading this. And once they read it, they're going to be like, oh, like this kid can write, this book is serious. Like I'm going to, I'm going to overlook the like gay kids kissing. I'm going to overlook the like drag queen sorceress. Like these are things that I downplayed. And it wasn't until motherfucker Beth Phelan, who I love, put together like (laughs) EDP, was like, no, like we're going to shout about the things that we like that I like added into a pitch I was like all right if we're gonna do this like okay my book's about a drag queen sorceress and like immediately that turned everything around and so from then on out I've never second guessed sort of following the things that make me happy about my work and my presence like that's what I prioritize now so I don't really look at that other stuff anymore I love that yay oh I'm so I mean I hate the beginning part where you're like maybe not (laughs) (laughs) well like there is like the thing you know like the writers in the cabin they don't talk to anybody they're like misanthropic they're introverted they don't like to do like public appearances like that is still a thing and I feel like the two of you also probably deal with this because you're both like also like super extroverted and like love mm-hmm. talking and seeing people and like when I'm in spaces now like that scene is like sort of a marvelous thing to my publisher and yes. to me it's like second nature <laughs> yes absolutely I don't think that they always expect you to just be like willing to do things on video and sort of like Mm -hmm. just not be like super shy and awkward about stuff and it's just like no I love when people look at me it's actually what I live for (laughs) I love love when they look (laughs) 
Yeah, as like a little kid that was like raised on like Broadway shows, like yeah, like I'm like I'm like I am Gypsy Rose. Like here I am, boys. Like this is that's like that was my idea of publishing. It's definitely not how publishing works, but it and it seems to be working. So I'm just gonna keep tap dancing. But so you did mention sort of promo and marketing very briefly. One of the things that sort of I feel like sticks out to me in my head as one of the first like big things that you did that was like really eye-catching was bedazzling eggs um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, oh, i hate that we're talking about this <laughs> no we're definitely gonna talk about the eggs so can you tell me sort of i mean i already know this obviously but why did you, no, you know. decide <laughs> to start bedazzling eggs and like what did that lead to for you? I wish I had like an explanation for this. That was like, <laughs> someone asked me to do this. Like someone, <laughs> someone in the world was like suggested to me. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is that I was, I was just like, <laughs> I just did it. Like I just found, okay. So like some backstory here. I'm very crafty for anyone that doesn't know that. Like I love to make stuff with my hands, you know, in writing, we spend so much time like in our minds. It's kind of the cerebral task of just like putting pen to paper and we actually never really see the fruits of our labor until like a year after whereas like with arts and crafts and like making stuff like you can make something with your hands and like play with it that day right like you can make clothing and wear it so I've always done a lot of that stuff and when I get nervous I tend to make stuff and so the eggs came about because in Reverie there is a scene with bedazzled eggs in it and I've always thought like I wonder if I could make a bedazzled egg you know as one does and then I found these (laughs) It's like jumbo ornamental eggs online. And next thing I knew, I'd like purchased several supplies to bedazzle this. And I um, spent a few, like, I, no one asked me to do this. I just spent a few nights literally bedazzling eggs because I thought it would be a fun thing to have just around. And maybe they would come in handy. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So like I spent, like I, I was watching like anime and like Buffy the Vampire Slayer as one does, like while bedazzling. And I bedazzled a few other things too. Like I made like a jacket, like all these other things. Cause I was just, I had a whole bedazzling period. It was also, I think, you know, if I had to actually pinpoint this, I was also very nervous. Cause this is when, this is like sort of like pre-marketing for Reverie. Like I turned in like edits, cover reveal had happened, but like nothing else was moving and so I was just like what do I do with my hands and this is what I did it was right before BookCon I remember that and that's sort of when a lot of things sort of like took off for me because of literally arts and crafts but the funny thing about the battalion eggs and this, this is the thing that I think Claire asking about they actually came in very handy in terms of like a crazy development that happened with Reverie where when I moved I um I moved to New York and my publisher called me and they're like hello like do you want to maybe have a Barnes and Noble lunch, which I thought was like a lunch in Barnes and Noble. Um, and I, was like, I was like, I was like, absolutely, like I, I would love to eat a croissant from Starbucks. So like, idiot me, like shows up for this, and um, like, no, it's a meeting with Barnes and Noble, and they're there to tell me like, hey Ryan, like you know, we, we were thinking about you for like, uh, like the YA book club. Is that something that you'd be interested in? And like. This is the, the, like, just to kind of give you an image of, like, me walking into this, like, I did not know that was going to happen. Um, we weren't sure about, like, what the meeting was for, whatever that. Like, it, there had been some discussions prior to me showing up. And luckily, Barnes & Noble was, like, very excited about this. But, like, I showed up thinking, like, oh, my God, like, we're going to meet some people. And, like, oh, why are we in this restaurant and not at Barnes & Noble? And then, like, they're, like, <laughs> about, like, me and my work. And I'm, like, oh, my God, I, yeah, I'm doing well. I just bedazzled all these eggs. Oh, would you want to see them? And, like, 
Meanwhile, I'm like looking for photos on my phone of like these bedazzled eggs while like a full on like convert like a business conversation is taking place around me. And I'm just like not noticing until I like look up and they're like talking about release dates and like can we push up the print schedule and like what about exclusive content? I'm like, did, did, does anybody want to see my bedazzled eggs? Is that something you're still interested? And they like the like conversation stops and they like all look at me and they're like yeah, absolutely. Let's see the bedazzled eggs. Like, and I like, show them. they're like, these are really lovely. And there was this like moment of like everyone looked around, being like, this is the one. This is the one. <laughs> you know what? At the end of the day, I think that that <laughs> that's such proof that you know we over and I think like authors in especially mm-hmm. overanalyze everything. Oh, they're like uh, my job. Yeah, and to like to such detriment of our own mental health. Like we're, we're like. <laughs> what do I wear to this Barnes and Noble croissant lunch? (laughs) And it doesn't, as long as like you're being your genuine self. And also, you know what? Being your genuine self will give like marketers so many ideas. That's like a huge thing. Like you don't even realize that they just want everything to be easier for everyone. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. I think, I mean, like marketing, so publishing is full of creative, like book loving people who are like also in marketing and vice versa. And I think they're sort of like, they get the benefit of working on like these hyper creative products, right? Like books sort of have to be in order for them to survive out there. And I mean, what I've seen is that like I make my team's job a lot easier just by the nature of like having a lot of ideas and putting a lot of like my own energy and sort of making stuff and even like promoting myself. So my publicist, Beth, she's incredible. Like she consistently is like, honestly, like half of this is just us just sort of making happen like things that like you've thought of or things that are easy to do because you give us a lot to work with, which I'm thankful. Like I'm glad that that's sort of made easy upon them. And as a result, I feel like it gives me access to a lot more like material and like everyday marketing. I think also it can help with, for me at least, like with the whole mental health aspect of it. Like if I'm having fun doing these things, it takes a little bit of the stress out of the situation because it's like, well, I'm just doing stuff that makes me laugh and like makes me happy. And if it just so happens to also work with Mm -hmm. readers and like the audience, then that's a bonus. And I think that's a really important part of sort of marketing and promo that people don't usually talk about. And I really, whenever anybody talks to me about promo and marketing, like your name is one that always comes up for me. And I always Mm -hmm. tell people to look to you as an example. And that doesn't mean that everyone should go bedazzled eggs. It just means... Oh, God. Because because it's bedazzling eggs is like very specific to you because that is in reverie, right? So it wasn't like... Like you just I mean you did kind of pull it out of your butt but it was yours it was your thing it was your idea and like everybody has their own thing that they can sort of do the same thing with it just has to right. sort of come from them but do you have any sort of advice that you would give people who are maybe struggling with marketing and promo or who haven't started yet and are nervous about it what would your be like your tips for for authors yeah absolutely so I actually, so I sort of have like a reverse tip where like, I think a lot of times now, whenever I post something, I sort of get this worry that people are going to see me doing something and think like, oh no, like I need to start producing videos or I, right. I need to start bedazzling eggs right. and things like that. And and I think you're, to speak to the point that you just made, yeah, those things can be helpful, but like ultimately I don't think it needs to be like compulsory that people sort of do this much in terms right. of like marketing or do it this way. Like my goal in doing the stuff that I do is not to like set a, a standard in like the literal sense of like, no, you must like do arts and crafts to like, you know, in order to like end up in Barnes and Noble. Like that's not, the, that's not the moral of the story. Like the moral of the story for me and the advice that I would give is that 
when you are a creative or sorry, when you're an author, like actually think of yourself as a creative, like you were sort of representing like not just the text that you've written, but the entire world that you've created. And there's a lot more to that, right? Like you don't need to be hemmed in by the words on the actual page, right? Like nowhere in Reverie is there a story about like a gay 27 year old man, like bedazzling eggs. It's just a thing that's <laughs> mentioned that I thought would be like kind of funny. And I, you know, ran with it. And so I think when people are looking at like approaching their own marketing, like, yeah, think about like what's in your book, but also just think about the things that like make you happy and that are like within the means of, of you know, your capabilities and don't be afraid to experiment. I think a lot of people stop themselves from doing stuff because they're like, this is not going to be a like Hollywood production. It's not going to be like this beautiful thing that I'm envisioning. And it never is. Half the time, like I start a project because I have a weird idea about how it might turn out and it never turns out like quite as good as I think it will, but I'm usually happy with what I make and, and people are too. And so my advice to folks would be, you know, look around, see what people are doing, like follow Kat, follow Purple, follow me. Like we are people that like really are probably a little bit too much when it comes to this and you know, get inspired from like what other folks are doing and then just give it a go. Like look it up. It's not that hard to set your camera up and record a video and like post it to TikTok with music. It doesn't take that much time to, to oh sort of God. learn things, but it does take a few mistakes. And like, so, you know, be okay with those sort of messy edges for the start. And then eventually you're going to get better at doing this stuff. And then eventually your publisher is going to come to you for these things. Like for instance, mm -hmm. after this, like I have to record like a bunch of videos for like promotional stuff for launch week. And my publisher knows that they can ask me for these things because I turn them out quickly because I've started doing this stuff like a year ago and I've gotten good at it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love your videos. I love your videos <laughs> you. too. Thank you. I love them so much. You know, I don't know if you saw, there was a conversation on Twitter recently. Oh, Twitter. What's Twitter? Uh, <laughs> oh, so is she? it's this place where everyone's <laughs> nice to each other and no one cries. Oh, and it's like the opposite oh, wait, of that. No, I, <laughs> I think I just explained like a Dr. Seuss novel. Anyway, so no, so there's a conversation on Twitter lately that was like <laughs> one of those dumb. It's the end of the year. What's your hot take on like publishing that oh, no yeah, one talks? The end of the year. Let's fight. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I want to see people fight in my timeline. That's what mm -hmm. that's what the tweet should be. But this person who I think works in the industry was like, oh, like the worst platform to, or like the platform that people think will sell their books but really won't is Twitter. Like everyone's on Twitter thinking it'll sell their books, but really it sh they should be on Instagram or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of people came in and were like, I disagree and got in a fight. But then someone tweeted and I thought this was a really good tangent to the conversation was, well, no, I think the argument is where do you feel most comfortable? Because readers aren't stupid. They can tell if you're just posting by links because you think you have to versus mm -hmm. you're creating genuine content and being yourself. And it, this, that kind of, you know, the conversation we're having right now kind of reminded me of that. And I felt like that was the only good part of that conversation because at the end of the day I've tried to be on like you know Tumblr I've tried to like make like a Facebook page and I never keep up with it because I'm just nah I'm not, I'm not interested but I freaking love Twitter for some weird averse reason yeah so I'm always freaking on it yeah yeah I <laughs> I sort of saw this peripherally and my I mean my like my hot end of the year take and actually, someone actually posted this. This is not even mine. It's like Twitter sort of is like a cocktail party, right? Like it's yeah. where a lot of mm -hmm. industry people hang out. And 
as a result, like, yeah, like maybe a reader will buy your book from seeing your tweets. And actually, I will say that a lot of people have like messaged me and said, like, I pre-ordered your book because I think you're like, you know, fucking bananas on Twitter.com. <laughs> and like, if your book is anything like your Twitter presence, I'm excited. And I'm like, oh, honey, like, <laughs> you got a big storm coming. It's not. Uh, and I guess it is. Like, but it's like, you know, like, Reverie is like a. <laughs> It is not like 400 pages of like shit posting, which is my Twitter. <laughs> so I'm always a little bit worried when people conflate the two. But yeah, no, I've sold I've sold books on Twitter and everything I have, I sort of have because of social media. But I recognize that I'm not necessarily going to invest like advertising dollars in Twitter. I'm going to use it as a vector for reaching people that do have influence and do have platform and get them excited and sort of give them my message and, and basically arm them with the verbiage that I use when I am talking to a reader about my book. Ultimately, I'm not followed by a ton of teenagers, right? I am followed by a ton of librarians, agents, editors, and teachers. And those are the people that I think are doing a lot of the work to to actually like execute distribution. Tons of independent booksellers follow me as well, including the stores and the actual people that work there. And being able to sort of articulate my message for what I'm trying to get to. And, you know, it, this sounds bad because it's kind of commercializing what is really important, like creative achievement to me, but like, you know, the, the sell, right, the pitch of the book, being able to kind of articulate that for people that are on the front lines at like the point of sale, to me is a much more important pursuit in sort of the actual value of of Twitter. I do agree that like people are not like, <laughs> like selling books on Twitter, but it's a good place to be. And it's a good place to, to sort of have a presence. And it's made a world of difference for like, you know, my own career. I don't know what I, I don't know really where I'd be without, you know, without sort of an active hive of people that are like, you know, like hyper liberal and like really open minded and looking to kind of support and raise up voices like mine. So I'm thankful for it. But I, I also do recognize that like people do hyper focus on Twitter as like this like microcosm of like do or die culture. And I don't think that's healthy either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that you don't have to be on Twitter, especially like you said, Ryan, if you're not comfortable with the platform, then people can oh, tell, yeah. you know, and I think that so the I, I mean, I don't want to like talk about the point without saying like it was Adam Sass who who did the oh, who, yeah. who did mm -hmm. the, the tweet mm -hmm. about and I, I really do think that Adam has a, a point because you're not going to sell hundreds of thousands of books on Twitter. And I think I think that the misconception is that if you have a buttload of followers, all of those followers are going to buy your book. And that is not the truth. There's maybe, it's it's a maybe 10% of the people who follow you, maybe 10% that will yeah. seriously consider buying your book. So when you think about that, it's usually a very small number for people. Mm -hmm. I think both sides have a point. It's just like really unfortunate that it always becomes really nasty sort of your stupid thing on Twitter when it's just, mm -hmm. well, I disagree with this or, you know, this hasn't worked for me personally. You know, it's different for everybody. The thing with Twitter is that it can lead to so many other things. It's it's maybe not a great place for direct sales in the thousands. You can make some sales, but I think the connections that you make in the networking are really what make it impactful for me personally. Right, I totally agree with that. But yeah, pe can people stop being so mean? <laughs> Uh, yes. Well, I was going to say, especially because we did bring up Adam specifically, I want to like give him his credit because he has kind of gotten a lot of replies on his tweet. Like, please do not go and try to find this tweet and pile on to him. Please do not. Because at the end of the day, he it's really hard to find nuance on Twitter. And if you read his whole like kind of thread about it, 
he's not saying like Twitter sucks and you suck for liking Twitter. He's mostly right. saying what Claire Bell was saying, which is we can't put all of our eggs in the Twitter basket. Like right. you can't think just being Twitter is going to move the needle and then be right. upset afterwards when you don't have all the sales you were expecting. Right. Which I yes, think is a- it's very it's empirically proven. I don't know why anybody would sit and think like uh, my presence to Twitter, like to my like <laughs> 1,039 followers, is going to in any way compare to the massive capitalist distribution machine that is publishing, right? There's no way, there's no way to kind of like draw the connection between those two. Yeah, absolutely. Like you can gain access to like space and people via, you know, a lot of followers and things like that too. But ultimately like there is this entire system and industry that is organized around distributing books, getting them to bookstores, getting them into like readers' hands, like English departments, things like that, that is actually beyond your control. And so I think it's kind of healthy to dissociate your performance performance on twitter.com from like your success as an author those are not the same thing i know authors that are incredibly successful sell jillions of books and have like 400 followers and they're verified and i'm like where's my little check exactly what the heck where's my yeah who's, who's looking out for me how do how can i make this about me um but yeah, my point <laughs> I don't know. There, there seems to be nothing to fight about. And I love Adam. Like, and Adam is in advertising. He's literally someone who works at a company that looks at the data <laughs> yes, behind the expression. Exactly. Like, he knows what he's talking about. This is not like, he's not being like, hey, guys, Twitter's not worth it. All of your, you know, all of your effort is, like, dumb. And all the people that, like, reply to that have, like, huge, like, big five publishers behind them. And I'm like, honey, you look so dumb being like, it's my Twitter that did this for me. When, like, fucking, like, random houses behind you being like, yeah, that's your Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, you did that. <laughs> I'm like, honey, no. It's always a combination of things. And also, while we're on the subject, I will take the opportunity to tell people to really do diversify the platforms that you're on and the way you reach readers. Because Twitter can literally implode tomorrow. And if you're if you're putting... And I hope it does. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I wish it would. <laughs> I wish she would. Ryan, like, you say that now, but, like, you're literally putting a curse on all three of us. That's fine. That means that we're the chosen ones and we have to break it. And that means an adventure with my favorite people. A curse or a blessing. <laughs> What's really the truth? That's true, though. Like, Twitter could go away. Like, it could be gone in a second. Exactly. Definitely. I think building a newsletter is really smart. And also, yeah, being on Instagram being on Facebook, especially if you're like a middle grade author, if you're a romance author, Facebook is a better platform. But shout out to mm-hmm. Adam and everyone go add Surrender Your Sons on Goodreads because really? it's a queer book and we should support all of our queer authors. Yeah. And Adam's also someone who like consistently will sort of speak his mind about things that are on everyone's mind and I do appreciate that whereas like I'm like a clown and like this like I just don't have enough time to sort of like get into controversial shit on Twitter <laughs> or if I do I like kind of forget about it and I'm actually like I do give him credit for like just like sitting up there and being like no sorry like I know it's like to all the people that are like really like upset about this but like this is just data and I don't know what to tell you and I have to go it's Thanksgiving on Twitter drama what I will say is that I feel like people have a lot of time and I am like if I had that much time maybe I too would feel the need to sort of get into like all of these arguments but like I don't don't, I really don't they don't have time they don't have time they're just neglecting their responsibilities (laughs) I am I'm a pretty savvy procrastinator but you know as we've seen like my version of procrastination is bedazzling things and other people want to get into fights on Twitter so we just have different ways of processing you know that's it (laughs) 
Yeah. So Ryan, for anyone who doesn't know what Reverie is about, can you give us a quick rundown about the plot? Yeah, absolutely. So at this point, I'm like an expert at this. I should be. I talk about it enough. <laughs> so Reverie is a young adult fantasy novel. It takes place in Connecticut, um, which I know is like a super exciting pitch. And I could probably <laughs> stop there because you probably just <laughs> bought it. But I'll tell you, <laughs> it's about this young queer kid named Kane who um, is battling a drag queen sorceress for the rights of, like, the creative rights to reality. Like, literally, like, who gets to, like, make the world what it is. And these these battles are, are taken, they, they take place in sort of these vast, dreamt, and, like, living worlds called reveries. And so uh, the book takes place in Connecticut, but it actually takes place in, like, six different fully grown, like, worlds that can be any genre they can sort of have like any like plot to them and uh, it's up to Kane and his friends to kind of navigate each of these stories in such a way that doesn't twist it out of shape while also trying to basically stop this drag queen who is sabotaging these reveries as a means of, of as a means of basically destabilizing reality in general so it's fantastical it's like super campy and uh it's sort of like I would call it a portal fantasy. There are no actual portals, but it does sort of have that feel of like jumping through a bunch of different worlds um, that I think a lot of like portal fantasy readers like. I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I recently, I took the quiz, like what would your reverie be? And I got the paranormal oh, one, which is so on brand yes. for me. I was like, oh, ghosts. Okay, cool. Oh my God, you could have gotten yeah. paranormal? I got romance. <laughs> I was like, okay, I get that. I mean, honestly, it was Kat, one. Yes. It, it was one of the two for you, Kat. It was either paranormal or romance. I feel like that's pretty on brand for you. That's super true. You guys always make me feel better. Yeah, I mean, romance is great. I, I think, I think the romance answer was written a little bit cruelly by myself. I, I did write that, so I think that's why people are like upset. They're like, oh my god, I got romance, and like the, you know, in. If you look at like the way that like romances like sometimes captivate people, they can be really awesome, but they're often like a form of escapism that like hinges upon another person, which to me is a form of like kind of dangerous escapism because it's the value of the world cannot be somebody that's not you or like you know it, it's like if your heart stops like the world should stop not somebody else's it's, so that's what i was trying to get at with that but a lot of people were like oh my, oh my god this is like mean to romance readers i was like no it's not like i love romance readers that's not the point <laughs> <laughs> yeah the answer was the romance description was oh love create a new world but will this ever last <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Yeah, people took that as, like, oh, romance is, like, doomed. And I was like, no, 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 it's literally, like, the plot of the book is that, like, any genre will have it, you know, potential failings or, like, potential risks. That's kind of the the point that I was (laughs) trying to get at. Ryan wrote it during a breakup. He was like, I hate romance. I was like, romance is dead, and so are you. (laughs) I got, and I actually, I surprised myself, because I I wrote that quiz a long time ago and then forgot about it, and then suddenly it just appeared, as things often do in publishing. Oh, and took it without really remembering what like the answers were, what they do. And I got dystopian, and I was like, "Oh my god! Like, there, this can't be true. Like, there's a conspiracy." And I was like, "Oh wait! Like, my inclination that this is a conspiracy and that it's like set up to like sabotage me is probably why like I would survive in a dystopian where things are conspiracies <laughs> and like they are sabotage." So, yeah, that surprised me. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Ryan, how how would you say that things have changed for you since you were last on the podcast, or sort of like, do you feel like? you're an official author now or do you still feel the same as you did pre-announcement for Reverie? That's a great question. I remember so I actually I listened to our conversation from like a year or more ago and my biggest like standout is that I 
I sound so timid to mm-hmm. myself um, when I listen to that conversation. I think because, you know, it was pre-announcement. And so I was sort of like speaking about a reality that was like only shared between like, at that point, like you and like, like Clarabel, you, myself, and a few other people that kind of knew yeah, what was up. But, yeah. you know, that was it. So I like the, you know, the room in my mind was very tiny. Where now, you know, obviously things are public, the book's about to come out. And I think the biggest learning is that I did not anticipate a lot of enthusiasm and support for a book like this. And I was wrong. I, uh, I have had like, a lot of really, I would say, I would call them sort of like lucky breakthroughs, but I've, I've been very fortunate. Like people have been very supportive and reactive to the book itself, like both reviewers and like librarians and things like that. I've gone to conferences. People are really excited about a book that like, I spent a lot of time telling myself, you know, maybe like there'd be a really niche audience. And then like, you know, Barnes and Noble kicks out my door and they're like, you're our book club pick. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I've never <laughs> anticipated this. And so my biggest learning is that it's okay to, to sort of be my out there self and that it's okay for there to sort of be like that sort of level of diversity in terms of like your level of interaction with like your your audience or your readers or even like your own fantasy um i'm someone who's very involved in sort of the fantasy of like who i am or or, or you know who every is and, and sort of what the book could be and i found that to be very effective um and i found that to sort of really fit in a way that i wouldn't have anticipated and as a result kind of held my held myself back from doing um pre-publication so yeah and to answer your second question i definitely like i definitely like introduce myself as a writer now um it took a lot of practice to sort of do that but yeah now I'm like no I am like I'm a writer I write books this is what I do and eventually people are like is that actually what you do and I'm like okay (laughs) Uh, but like but no I, I I lead with that now and I had to sort of get through the discomfort of it but it was probably around after I had an agent that I tried doing that for the first time. And then after I had a book deal, it was like, no, like no one can take this away from me. It's, it's been printed on paper. Right. It is written. It is law. <laughs> it, yeah, is it is written. Is <laughs> yeah. And you, you had some people like actively discouraging you about reverie and saying that it was too mm-hmm. queer and all of these really not great things. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not just like self doubt, but also, outside voices trying to sort of tear you down um but you prove them wrong so they can you know they can suffer (laughs) (laughs) and i hope they are and whatever like glittering egg they've been contained in yeah no i i i I try to like download this because i don't think it's a great lesson to learn from me like i'm I'm, like i operate off of like a lot of spite revenge and just like kind of like interior drama (laughs) and so yeah like a lot of people were like don't write reverie like this is never gonna happen for you and like now I like you know that like that's what gets me up in the morning I'm like haha I wonder how that person's doing hopefully not well and like you know (laughs) these demons are like my own I'm not even sure that these people exist anymore they might have changed this was like 10 years ago and it was probably sound advice at the time in reaction to like the industry but whatever it kept me going and I kind of hope that like someone reads my book and they're like, I could do this better. Like, haha, I'm going to like spite Ryan. I'm going to become that revenge. And you know, if that's what gets them writing, like, great, we need more books. Yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of you, Ryan, that those are not hard. Those are not, those are not hard things. <laughs> those are it's hard. Yeah. I know. Those are, <laughs> it's like, what, like it's hard? <laughs> those are not easy things to overcome. And I'm really excited for the world to read Reverie and, for you to be famous because I can be like, I'm friends with Ryan. Don't look directly into my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> we're establishing it now on oh a podcast God. that we're Ryan's friends. So yeah. when he's famous, just know that we are his like entourage. The irony is that like the two 
I look up to two, the two of you like so like rapidly that I'm like, no, like I'm friends with them. Like I've got to, I've got to like push that and the people like know that I'm like a friend of the podcast. So, yeah, no, it's very funny. Like it's just basically it's like self love party. Between the three. I do appreciate it. There was actually an interview that you just did, and they were like, so your squad is made up of Claravel, Ortega, Cacho, and Phil Stamper. I know. I know. Like, really? Yeah. I was like, this is so cute. The fact that so Phil, I'm gonna I'm gonna drag Phil. Sorry, Phil. Um, they, Phil when are we not dragging me, Phil? Yeah, when are we not? <laughs> Phil texted me and was like, was like, oh my god, like, and he like sent me a screenshot of this, and I was like, where is this? Like, I had no idea, like, where this was. I was like, where do you? Like, I was like, it took me a second to like, I was like, oh my god, I'm reading a quote from myself because it was like just a screenshot, like, on his phone. He was like, oh, like. I might have, like, an alert set up. And I was like, oh, bitch. Like, okay, yeah, like, go figure. Like, you get, like, an alert about your name being posted on the internet. That's how and I saw it, know. too. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, was, I was like, this is great. Like, this is really wonderful. And I, like, looked at my alert. And, like, of course, like, my alert missed it. Like, <laughs> nothing on mine. And by the way, and people, you should set up an alert for your name. Like, people drag people because they're like, oh, my God, are you Googling your name? But, like, it's actually very useful to know when these things go live because, like, you don't know unless, like, someone tells you, like, in this case, Phil or, like, Clarabelle. But, like things get posted and it's actually very worthwhile knowing where, when they're posted so that you can like promote them and things like that too. So I actually don't think that's like a act of narcissism. I think it's just effective yeah, marketing, I agree. but yeah, back to the, the thing. <laughs> so like, yeah, Phil texted me about it and I do appreciate that. Like people recognize friendships and I, this is even what I said in the interview that like, I've been lucky enough to find people that take their writing seriously, but also take sort of being an author seriously and um, find a lot of joy in the act of not only writing, but the sort of the act of publishing, because it's a hard industry to be in. And there has always been, you know, for at least my acts of creation, like the underpinning for those are sort of joy and like whimsy. And, you know, I like recognizing that in other people and sort of feeling there are other people out there that are like really like enjoying themselves and having fun. And I guess like tempering kind of the otherwise terror of publishing with with sort of that attitude. So yeah, if I had to like pick one thing out that's like consistent between all of us, it's it's sort of that like drive to make the most of things. And uh, and that's that's what I think the interview was sort of picking up on. They're like the three, or like really the four of you are like kind of all over the place. But like, <laughs> in, in, like step. and I was like, yeah, we are. All over the place together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At least we're together while we're being in, absolutely insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fun. I just, I don't know, like, have fun with it. I, I recognize that not everyone's sort of going to have that attitude and they don't need to, right? Like you you don't have to always be smiles and joy and I'm definitely not, but it is such a blessing to be able to write a book and have that book, you know, printed and put out into the world and, and to work with a team and to have that investment behind you. And I am never going to lose sight of how fortunate I am to sort of be where I am because for a long time I was not. I was just right on the other side of the door knocking and listening. And so now that I'm on, like I'm sort of inside the room, like, of course, I'm going to treat it like a party. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that advice. So, Ryan, everyone who's on the podcast, as you know, because you've already been on the podcast, shares their most embarrassing publishing-related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. So this could be something, like, since you've been on before, um, since a lot of things have happened, or something that you just remembered that you did that was horrifying. Either or, it's up to you. <laughs> oh, I ha okay, so... I thought of something that happened. This is actually, this predates my last embarrassing story, but I think it's actually very funny. And I thought of this last night. I forget what made me think of it, but <laughs> so 
This is terrible. So like, you know how like everyone like starts a website and they're like, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna be funny online. I'm gonna blog. I did that, like everyone did. And um this is back before I had an agent, but I was like querying and things like that too. And so I would like write like funny posts about like fake book ideas that like I, you know, that I thought were like really funny. And I did one of these. It was like a snow day. I was like home and like it was a bunch of us like sitting around like definitely like wine drunk at like 2 p.m. And <laughs> I like made up this whole story it, like while talking to friends about about um, do you remember do you guys remember Betsy DeVoe, <laughs> you know, or like yes. Secretary of Education or whatever. Um, do you remember the thing where she like was really worried about like bears gun like she wanted yeah bears <laughs> coming into the school <laughs> i like i that like that enchanted me i was like i was like this is the most banana shit i've ever heard like this was like, a great book and so i wrote i wrote a book about how like <laughs> there's this girl named like a hyper white girl named like like kaylin mckenzie with like many y's and m's and um how she was like the you know the like president of her like high school division of like the NRA and how you know she loved guns but her whole world was turned on its head when the new student showed up because he was a bear and like how was she gonna like how reconcile her like love of guns with like the new hot bear boyfriend and it was like a romance between the two of them and so I like wrote this is actually saw my site you can probably find this and so I like wrote up like a pitch for this and I even made a cover and the book was called the right to bear arms. I hate you. <laughs> yes. I, I like, love you and hate you right so much right now. I just remember this yesterday. And so anyhow, so that's like the scenario. And then I forgot about it. And then I, the next thing that happened in my life is that I got an agent. And so I posted <laughs> on my site, like, I have an agent. And that's like the next post. And so many people were on my site. And they thought that the book that I got an agent for was <laughs> the, the right to bear arms. <laughs> Because oh they were gosh. like, that's all they had to go off of. And so, like, this is this is really, like, if you have a big announcement coming up, you need to look at, like, what's on your website. <laughs> because a lot of people congratulated me. They're like, oh, my God, like, are you worried that, like, Betsy's going to read this? Like, also, isn't this, like, illegal? <laughs> I, was, like, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? No, I made everything up. And they're like, okay, like, haha. And then, like, that's when I, yeah, no, they were, they thought that I was the, I was going to try to sell the right to bear arms. And I'm sure, like, an editor or two, like, looked that up. And they were like, I'm going to avoid this person at all costs. <laughs> Wait, was the bear always a bear? Did he like shapeshift from teenage boy to bear? No, he's he's literally just a bear. Like, and that has like, nothing to do with the plot. Like, he's just like a, his. Hold on, I'm gonna find. See if I can find it. The right, the right to bear arms. The oh right, and like you get it. Like it's like a pun. Like bear arms. We, like, yes, arms we get it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh well, you know what? As it turns out, Ryan. googling the right to bear arms brings up a lot of gun-related content. I don't know why. Um, anyhow, I'll, I'll send it to you after. It's so dumb. Yeah, I would like to put it in the show notes. <laughs> this is terrible. This is actually worse than I remember it being. Oh my gosh, I'm very. Or better? Excited. You mean better? Me, yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, it depends on how you look at it. But anyhow, yeah, that's my that's my humiliating. Like, I, and by the way, I have like many. Anytime I'm on this podcast, I will probably have a new dumb story because it <laughs> happens to me all the time. But yeah, this is this is my new jewel for you. This is the new bedazzled egg. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like actually, maybe maybe this is where it all began for me. Maybe this is what really kind of. <laughs> Ryan thank you so much for being on the podcast we're so excited for every so proud of how far you've come and can't wait for everything that has yet to come still because I know that there's a lot of good stuff thank you (laughs) it is so good to be back thank you so much for having me I love you both you're incredible and ride or die I love all y'all out there 
the Ride or Die crew is amazing. We love you so much too. But yeah, can you also just let everyone know where to find you on the on the internet? Yeah. So my website is ryanlasala.com. Lasala is spelled L-A-S-A-L-A. And uh, my Twitter, aforementioned Twitter, is at Ryality, R-Y-A-L-I-T-Y. And I'm on like Insta and things like that too. Most of my social links are on my website. But if you find me on Twitter, um, that's probably enough. <laughs> you probably don't need to find that's, enough. That's, that's enough. <laughs> and we'll put everything in the show notes too so people can just quick click on it and see all your wonderful bedazzled eggs yeah buy yeah. reverie buy yes. it yeah buy, buy it reverie right comes out tomorrow yay we have 20 <laughs> copies what? at dagger. least i want that little dagger to show up next to my name if i ever hit the, <laughs> the dagger you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. the asterisk, yeah. like, bestseller, sort of. <laughs> yeah, like, right. If someone's truly Ryan's friend, they will buy just under the bulk purchase <laughs> number at a reporting store. Somebody called Lainey. I told my mom about that, and she was like, she was like, I did buy multiple copies. Like, have I imperiled your reputation? And I was like, no, mother, I don't think you bought, like, like 3,000 copies. And she, like, she, like, looked at me, and I was like, did you buy 3,000 copies? <laughs> she didn't don't worry thanks for listening to red or die make sure to subscribe to us on itunes leave us a review and while you're at it be sure to pick up wicked fox by me cat Cho, and ghost squad by claribel a ortega see you next time wordies and don't forget to spread the word